Welcome to Piecing It All Together. Hey, I'm Randy Woodley. I am Bo Sanders. And we're glad you're here with us, Piecing It All Together. Thank you to everybody who gave us feedback on our most recent episode. I was glad to get both positive and some constructive uh, criticism. Randy, one of the things that uh, one of our listeners requested is that if I ever mention something like a mass shooting, which has happened in the early minutes of our previous episode, I need to say which one and which day it was, because if somebody listens to it later, they don't know which one we're talking about. And I thought that that was an interesting comment, and I will will definitely try and be more uh, specific if anything like that comes up. But it also is a sad commentary that if you go several days after an episode comes out, um, that you literally can't know which mass shooting we might be talking about. That's right. And, you know, that's from like 1996 on or something like that. Uh, It's crazy. Tragic circumstance when that's the case but uh yeah anything that's helpful like that that people have said uh before somebody let us know that uh, a couple episodes our bumper music was too loud so i was able to yeah you young people and your loud music i don't know know. (laughs) speaking of music by the way you are in your music studio today and your background has never looked better i love what's happening behind you yeah, it, it, I guess it's decorated, but um, really all those uh, Pendleton blankets and things that are hanging up yeah. between all the guitars, that's yeah. really, those are really sound, sound barriers, sound buffers. So they muffle the sound so that we don't have a lot of echoing in the studio. That's so smart, but it really is intriguing uh, for a background. It's very, it's visually stimulating. It translates wow. well to video. He's asking about it. Oh, they do. Of course, this is yeah. an audio podcast, so it's re- probably not the best to be commenting on video stuff. So yeah. Can't. Just a bunch of blankets and a bunch of guitars. It looks good, man. Hey, we want to talk about implicit bias today, but before we get to that, uh, what's going on in your backyard? Well, we just finished having Earth Day, and uh, we had a pre-Earth Day workday, volunteer workday, and a post-volunteer okay. uh, workday. And man, we got uh, a lot of stuff done. It was incredible. I think the first day we had about 35 people out. I think we had about 50 out the second one. And the second one, the weather was really bad. I mean, it was raining off and on all day, but still... And just got, you know, I mean, literally uh, probably took months off of mine and Edith's to-do list. Wow. Uh, we just got so many things accomplished, building some rock retainer walls, digging ditches, yes. stretching pond liners, planting. A lot of people brought plants to plant. So um, wow. especially like huckleberries and blueberries and yeah. raspberries and and uh, yeah, it was, it's fantastic. I mean, what was done here, we're, we're totally wow. grateful. Those are some big ticket items. Those are big projects. Yeah. Things that we couldn't get done unless we have a lot of people, right? Wow. That's fantastic. I'm so glad there was that good of a turnout. Yeah, me too. I, I started thinking, 
you know, we're supposed to have 90% chance of rain that day. I wonder if anybody's going to show up. <laughs> <laughs> so these were, were these local volunteers? Cause they, it's just a work day, right? No one stays out there yet. No. Um, well, we actually do have, um, uh, I have a friend Colibre who's out here. Um, okay. and, uh, he's here for the summer and he's helping us out. Um, but he's in a tent. He lives in a tent. Uh, but yeah, other than that, uh, this is just people coming in for the day. And, you know, I think several churches, a couple of the covenant churches, access covenant, uh, Portland covenant, uh, came out and brought a lot of people. And, and then there were just a whole lot of individuals who came people who hurt some who heard our podcast, some yeah. who, uh, heard, uh, Brandy Miller's podcast. Um, uh, what's it yeah. called? Reclaiming my theology. Uh, yeah. some who, uh, who uh, follow our friend Erna, Kim Hackett. And yeah, so so people kind of found out all over the place. Yeah. Very cool. That's really good. Hey, this podcast will come out on uh, Wednesday, April 28th. You and I are talking on that Tuesday, the 27th. I wanted to ask you about a couple things. You get you and Edith get so many good invitations to do interesting things. I wanted to follow up on a couple of them. So uh, the last time you and I recorded uh, this podcast, you were about to receive, you and Edith, the Acumenist of the Year Award. And we talked a little about that and how uh, you know that there are probably people who are more deserving, but that you love the work itself. So how did that yeah. whole thing go? I think you had a film crew coming out. and Yeah, they filmed this and, you know, we... We, uh, you know, first we said, are you, are you guys sure you're in the right place? And you chose the right people. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, it went, went well. I, I think I'm going to have a, uh, the Ecumenical Ministries of Oregon, who are the sponsors of the Ecumenists of the Year Award, are having a, a banquet in May, except for it's all online, so it's not a real banquet. Oh. Um, okay. and, uh, and they're going to show that video at that time, uh, during that, uh, deal. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it feels good, especially feels good getting something with Edith like that because too many times I get more recognition because, you know, I got the, the PhD and I've got the books and all that kind of stuff. And the fact that I'm a man probably has something to do with it as well. And, um, and this, they gave it to both of us, which I was really happy about. So. Yeah. And by the way, whoever is doing your social media for Elahe is doing a, a bang up job. I have enjoyed so much seeing the pictures of you and Edith from over the years, quotes uh, by the two of you, excerpts from uh, books. I don't know who's putting all that out, but they are doing a fantastic job. It has been wonderful to see stuff from you and Edith popping up in my uh, news feed on social media. I've enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, we've had several people. So um, uh, we had a young woman named Lacey for a while, and uh, we now new, have a new uh, person, a woman named um, Kimberly, uh, who's going to be doing our stuff. And I think she just started today. And then Joshua Grace, our good friend and board member, has been doing the IG. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's it's just one of these things we just don't have enough time to do ourselves uh, sure. to keep up with. So. Yeah, no, that's the perfect thing to to partner with somebody for. And they're doing, I mean, they're doing a great job. It's really, I'm really enjoying seeing that stuff pop up 
And uh, it always, it's a, it's a, one of those things that makes you stop and think, you know, cause if you're just mindlessly scrolling, you're not necessarily engaged. And then, you know, mm-hmm. some uh, a quote will come up or some a reminder that what you're doing and it's always good because it snaps me out of sort of the mindless scrolling that can happen with social media. I don't do a lot of scrolling, but, um, but <laughs> I, I, start use, I use social media kind of, um, uh, as a, a sort of a, a small blog in a sense, you know, if there's something I'm really feeling, I put something on and then once in a while, it's just, we just want to share, you know, who we are and what we're doing or, you know, a hummingbird we saw or those kinds yeah. of things. So it's, yeah. it's kind of a mixed bag with us. We're, I don't spend a whole lot of time scrolling and that kind of thing, yeah. but, uh, um, so it's I so guess funny. I don't relate to that. I don't yeah, get into that yeah, rabbit because- hole, right? I have actually noticed that you and I use social media very differently. For instance, people think that I'm on social media a lot, but I'm not. I actually just post pictures from my phone. I'm rarely actually on the app, Instagram or Facebook. I just post from my phone, you know, through my my photo stream. I don't, sometimes I don't even, like people say, hey, you know, I liked that thing and you you never, uh, did you ever see that? And I said, well, no, I'm, I'm rarely actually on the app. I just, I just post from my photo app and uh, people are disappointed to know that I'm actually not on there that much. I'm old school, I'm man. Bad. It's like, I, know, I have to I know. go back to my computer and put it on. You know, it's like if when people say, Hey, let me, let me DM you or let me, and I'm like, uh, text you. And I'm like, you know, can you email me? Email something to me. I know how to do that. (laughs) Now, one last thing I did want to ask you about as far as an update goes. Uh, This is happening tonight as we record, which means it will have happened yesterday as people listen to this. So you and Edith are on a panel uh, for the Condor and the Eagle. Tell us about that. Yeah, this is an international film. Uh, and it's about indigenous peoples in both North and uh, South Central uh, uh, Americas and about coming together. Um, a lot of the lands that are left uh, to be uh, non-renewables to be extracted from are um, on indigenous people's lands. And we probably have the least rights of any people. And so this is to uh, this film is to help people see that uh, our peoples are coming together and um, let's see what we can do to protect the earth because um, for, for indigenous peoples and really for all people, it's like, you know, do you breathe? Do you drink water? Well, then this should be important to you. That's good. I really enjoy um, seeing the invitations that you get in the different groups who actually invite you. Sometimes groups that surprise me about who's sponsoring an event, but I'm happy to, I'm happy to see you involved in it. Nonetheless, even if it's not a group I'm a part of or familiar with at all. Well, this is, this is put on by the, uh, I think it's called the Evangelical Environmental Network, EEN, um, which, you know, most people are like, well, evangelicals are involved in climate change (laughs) stuff, right? And, and I'm actually, you know, I'm on the board. I'm on the advisory board, not the actual board, but the advisory board for Yucca, 
young evangelicals for climate uh, against climate change. Oh, yucca! Young evangelicals against climate change. And I said, you know, I'm not an evangelical. And they said, that's okay. We want you to be on our advisory board. We want to hear from you and, and take direction from you. And so uh, I'm like, great. You know, hey, but the thing is, I mean, this is probably why, it, you know, we were a bad choice for ecumenist of the year because, you know, it's harder for a lot of other people to work with people who are in different boxes than they are. Yeah. But our thing has always been, we'll work with anybody. <laughs> so it's easy for us, right? So, <laughs> hey, whoever, you know. Hey, if you're doing good work, uh, then especially if you're helping the earth, you know, we're yeah. going to work with you. It's so funny. I like to use uh, the phrase, you know, bridge builders that you you, you, all, you and Edith are so good at building bridges. But the funny thing is, that's not entirely accurate because you don't even see the gap, right? To Like to you you're not building a bridge necessarily. If everybody's walking in the same direction, what's the problem? So right. you're just, that's why I say we're not really working hard at it. We're just being who we are. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, it's encouraging. What are your big projects coming up? It's uh, about to turn May. What does, what does May look like on the farm? You know, May is mostly about, planting and getting things started. Um, I still haven't planted my three sisters, my corns, beans, and squash. Uh, we're trying a, a northern um, climatized peanut this year and a northern climatized uh, watermelon this year. And I haven't oh. planted those yet. So I probably need to get those in the ground. But it's been kind of crazy this year. I mean, we had uh, hot, 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 cold, 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 hot, cold. You know, it's it's not, we're, we're really not sliding into summer, you know, spring, summer, we're just kind of going back and forth and back and forth. So it's very difficult to know when to plant um, yeah. when it's like that. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah for, you know, I only have a little plot over here at the community garden by where I work, but it is bizarre to see that some things have sort of flourished in that unpredictable environment. I can't believe some of the growth of, you know, like six or seven inches in just a couple days. Like yeah. there are other things that I'm not even sure the seeds are going to take because it hasn't been that nurturing of an environment, you know, for that right. climate wise, I'm not even sure some of that stuff's going to come up at all. Right. It's those, you know, first, first month or so are really important to, you know, the, the, the plants are tender and, you know, some are uh, acclimatized to uh, being used to warmth when they grow up, you know. And so, yeah, uh, yeah so it's, it's really uh, climate change makes it very difficult to, to always be successful. So uh, listeners, if you have any specific questions that you want to ask us, uh, we'll be recording again the, that first week of May. I'm going to be back. I'm going on a canoe trip that I'm very excited about. Uh, with some uh, friends, lifelong friends, and we all uh, love the spring canoe trip together. And so we Yeah, you are, do this every year, right? We do a canoe trip every year, but it's not always this one. So this one's a special one. Oh, it was okay. the, first, the first route we ever went on. We're redoing the original, um, the original canoe route. And so we're, I'm very excited. So when I'm back, we'll be recording again. I think it is May 10th. And so, listeners, if you have any questions specifically 
uh, either about uh, the ecumenical work that uh, Randy and Edith do, the bridge building, or about the farm, or anything else. Uh, please ask or, or away. Or Bo's canoe trip. Or my canoe trip. Yeah, you can or ask Bo about his canoe trip, yeah. Yeah. So um, how many years ago was this where you started? Uh, oh, like 16 or 17? No kidding. So, yeah. Um, of course, nobody ever made jokes about the the movie Deliverance, right? With a bunch of guys it, going down it, a canoe trip. You know, it is always the very first thing I hear when I tell people <laughs> what I'm doing. It's some reference to Deliverance. Watch out for boys with banjos sitting on a porch. Um, yeah, yeah. Ironically, I've never seen that movie because I've heard so much about that movie. I've never actually seen it, so... Uh, wow. The reference, okay. the references are somewhat lost on me, but sometimes when you've heard about something enough, you don't sometimes actually need to watch it. It's a, uh, it's enough to get it secondhand. Right. Yeah. Hey, Randy, would you consider yourself a biased person? Yes. You, you are? Of course. Oh, okay. We all have our own biases. Yes. Well, let me ask you a question then. Why do you think that it is seen is so offensive to some people to imply that they are biased? Do you have a theory on this? Because I do. Yeah, maybe they don't have mirrors in their house. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, um, you know, I mean, if you know yourself, you know you have bias, um, and 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 bias isn't necessarily wrong. Bias is just something that we've learned. You know, we're not just taught stuff. We're not just a product of what we're taught, but we're also a product of what we're what is caught. Probably mm-hmm. much more what is caught than what is taught. And so, you know, we all grow up, you know, because we live in an imperfect society yeah. and with imperfect people, we grow up with with uh, biases that uh, you know are are there. And so, that's part of becoming a human is to realize your biases and, and work through them. All right. Let me make it a little more complicated. What if I added a modifier and talked about implicit bias, biases that you're not necessarily aware of? Does that seem tougher to swallow? Not at all. That's why I need a community around me, you know, to help point out my biases that I don't understand. I think, uh, you know, isn't that the point of of having uh, good friends and family and others around you who can, you know, take you aside, uncles and aunties and grandparents and others who can say, you know, hey, have you thought about this? I noticed this about you. Have you thought about it? I mean, isn't that what life's about is growing? Mm. Or or always, have we all reach this sort of perfection stage that, you know, we don't mm. need people around us helping oh. us? Yeah, that would be nice if we if we were pressing towards perfection. I always appreciate when somebody who in true love takes me aside and says, I think I know what you were trying to say or do there, but I didn't know if you were aware of how that seemed to other people or how that sounded uh, to somebody else. And then sometimes you're horrified and you thought, well, but that's the opposite of what I meant or the opposite of what I intended to do. And when they lovingly you know, bring this to your attention or correct you. 
it's always like, it's so memorable and, and so impactful when somebody lovingly does that, but it is tough to hear sometimes. Yeah. But you know, think of how crazy it is to, to all of a sudden go, what? I'm not perfect. It's like, you, what? No, I guess you don't know yourself very well. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's always, uh, you know, hard, but it's always, I always appreciate it so much when people have corrected me. Some of the, some of the times in my life where I've learned the most is when people were just, you know, very blunt and honest with me about things I was doing wrong. I appreciate yeah. that. Maybe not so much bring, at the time, but later. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, at the time, it's tough. Let me tell you why I'm bringing this up. I run in circles where the phrase implicit bias is used a lot, that phrase, and where it's sort of assumed what it means. It's not always fleshed out uh, or articulated very well. And almost without exception, there is somebody who either in the moment will speak up and sort of object to the, the idea of implicit bias or afterwards can be heard grumbling about this phrase. So I am intrigued because, you know, in my academic life, these words get thrown around so quickly and they're assumed that in my non-academic life, sometimes I like to take an extra moment and ask the person who is, you know, been, their feathers have been ruffled or their hackles are up or they've been rubbed the wrong way, whatever analogy you want to use, to ask them, why they're upset. And I have actually been asking, hold, 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 hold it, hold it, hold it. Yeah. Feathers have been ruffled. What kind of people wear feathers? <laughs> Bo, I think you Birds have implicit bias. So you don't know. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, no. a lot of, a lot of people, we, none of us, uh, you know, we all are up with these phrases. And I know that yeah. one really is, I was just kind of, you know, yeah. jabbing you with it but um uh you know like i hear people all the time saying he's gone off the reservation it's oh, like yeah. what well, do you realize what's involved in that statement you know oh, um, that one really it's like we, these people are made to be on the reservation and they're not allowed to go off you know so you know there's we make statements like that all the time right yeah um and and we're all learning is feathers ruffled uh does that have a cultural connotation it doesn't, but I made it have one just to oh. get your go. Oh, man. I thought you caught me out. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, that was a close call. <laughs> I almost, uh, you know, by the way, I appreciate you saying this. I am both shocked and surprised when I find out like a common saying, you know, that gets thrown around a lot. And then I figure out later, like where its origins are from and it's rooted mm -hmm. in something what, that now we find offensive, but how it right. just, how deeply entrenched it is. Yeah. 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 And society changes. We shouldn't be surprised, you know, that's true. And, and you know, people who are, uh, uh, sort of, uh, very conservative, like to think that there's one culture. And, you know, so they call that political correctness, right? So I think they're not, it's not the idea of bias as much as that they don't want to do anything that seems quote unquote politically correct. 
Mm. Well, you know what? What they mean is really socially correct, yeah. right? And yeah. uh, so don't we live in a society that involves more than just one culture? So, and shouldn't we have concern for people who are outside of our own culture? And what makes us think that our own culture is, uh, you know, the cent- should be the center of everything and everybody else's is, is uh, you know, a subculture. So that's, this is just white supremacy in action again, right? Yeah. Yeah. If, uh, if you do, if you assume that your culture is centered and normal or normalized, right. and everything else is a variation or a deviation, then yes, any time it's imposed on you that you need to listen to and learn from a minority culture or a marginalized community, that feels like an imposition and an inconvenience. Right. And we call that white supremacy. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. Here's how this ties in with what I was hoping to run by you as far as this term called implicit bias. So let me say that I have gone on the record. I've been very clear that there are some ideas out there that I 100% get why people object to them. I really do. For instance, you and I have talked about uh, critical theory and, and then subsequently critical race theory. I 100% get why it's not for everyone and why some people find it highly objectionable. And I, I openly acknowledge that. Or like in books like, uh, uh, Oh, what's the one everyone talks about? White fragility. Like, so in like books like uh, White Fragility or How to Be Anti-Racist, if you're presented with the binary, if you're white, that you're either racist or you're racist and don't know it, then I, I get why people object to that because they feel very cornered in like, oh, so I have no option except to be racist or unaware that I'm racist. Those are my two options. Okay, and I so I get why people object to that. But once in a while, I come to something like this implicit bias, and I truly am surprised that people are so upset by it. So that's usually when I start. Oh, go ahead. You want to say something? Well, I don't. I don't get why people would be upset about any of those things. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> I, I guess. You have a better understanding than I do. I I don't understand why they would, you know, it's like, yeah, so the choices are you're either a white supremacist and you know about it or a white supremacist and you don't know about it. But the point is you're a white supremacist if if you're a white person. So, so, uh, you know, and and, and so what else are you going to be in a society that was created to have whites, uh, whiteness centered and whiteness normalized and every institution uh, follow suit to that? You know, it's just like people are so upset when we talk about that there's a, a implicit bias in police. Right. Well, are, you know, if there's not, they would be the only system in our whole culture that isn't because the whole thing was built around white folks. And so, um, you know, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't get the, the, why people would be upset about that. I, what I get is, you know, what I don't get is also is why people wouldn't want to change that, you know? 
Like if that's if that's a possibility, then we we need to change it, right? But it's the resistance of that that I don't get. Interesting. So I think you're really gonna like or really dislike. I don't know how to phrase that. What I am finding as I ask people the questions uh, afterwards or in the you know in the lobby, uh, what I'm finding. So it seems to me as I give people space to explain why they're uh, upset that it's because they are under the impression that what we're really after is a colorblind society where we don't see color, we don't see race. And if you have subscribed or been conscripted into the myth of colorblindness, then it is very upsetting or offensive to think that you might have a bias inside of you that you're not even aware of. Because if you were aware of it, you would do something about it. But it feels very powerless that you have this thing, which you know is a bad thing, in you, and you don't even know that it's there. That is very upsetting to some who have bought into the myth of colorblindness. Yeah, and... You know, I'm going to say something that sounds, you know, probably uh, pretty uh, base and elementary. And, you know, I could be wrong. But here's what I'm thinking. It's like, you know, if you are white and someone points something out to you about your whiteness, there's a good chance that you have been conditioned to think that that's a bad thing. Yes. Yes. And this is the yes. core of it. And all we're doing is just saying, you know, instead of saying you are not, your culture is not supreme. What we're saying is you are not perfect. None of us are perfect. We are human. And so, so to me, that sort of pointing out is just saying, welcome to humanity. Welcome to get off of your high horse and just be one of us as the people. So to me, this is a lot more liberating. It's a lot more loving uh, than trying to maintain some facade of, oh, I have no bias. I'm colorblind. You know, that that's crazy. You know, there's no such thing as colorblind. You know, now I understand in an ideal world that that might be the case. It's like you sometimes forget, you know, that, oh, there are racial differences. But, you know, if you're trying to forget those things, then what you view them as negative, it's like, you know, you're, you're thinking, well, I, I want to see past that because it's a negative thing instead of understanding it as embracing that as a positive thing. So I want to embrace the differences, not ignore the differences. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I like the way you said that. Well, well, that's how well, we learn from one another. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. So I want to tell you something I've, I've started experimenting with that I'm seeing a little bit of success with. So I've tried two different approaches. One is um, there's a comedian who is now discredited, Louis, Louis C.K. You can't even say his name because he's a pervert and an abuser, and so he's totally discredited. 
But he did have a joke in one of his Saturday Night Live uh, spots where he talked about being a little bit racist. And so if I don't give him credit, I can use a part of his stand-up routine where he talks about like if he goes into a, a pizza parlor that's run by three black women, he goes, huh. So he's just a little racist, not big racist, just a little racist. And people seem to identify with like, oh, yeah, I guess I do that sort of thing, too. So I have to use an example like that where something stands out to you and you re realize, oh, I had expectations and this is different than my expectations. And then people will admit like, oh yeah, I, I mean, I have those. And you're like, okay, because I have those. So if I could tell a story or, you know, share with them an anecdote from my own experience, then people will be like, well, yeah, I mean, I do that too. So you sort of, you sort of take the volume down by showing some vulnerability. So. I've seen a little bit of success with that, but here's what I'm finding more success with. I've started asking three questions as an analogy. <laughs> no, you knew this was the coming. numbers, the numbers, always the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> you knew this was coming, but as an analytical too. But listen to this, it's really easy to remember. What do I prefer to what do I refer and what's being deferred. And this little stupid rhyme is actually, Randy, I'm actually seeing some breakthrough with it. So I ask people- Okay, walk us through it. Yeah. Walk us through. When you, when you say something like, well, that's just not very respectable, whether it's wearing your pants down below your boxers or having a neck tattoo or right uh, talking like you're from the inner city, whatever it is that, when you say it's not respectable, to what are you referring? Talk to me about what's respectable and where that comes from. So by asking just what's your reference point, helping people mm -hmm. sort of locate themselves socially. So that's one thing. Then what do you prefer? What's the preference? And usually what we're getting at is normalizing whiteness. So they'll tell me like, well, the preferred thing would be to pull up your pants or do your hair this way or, right, speak this way. They're talking about white normalcy. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing is what's deferred. And that's the thing that we're willing to put off as an ideal to be in sort of a practical moment. So I'll jokingly say to them, are you under the impression that we're going to solve racism in America this year? And they say, no, and I'll say, all right, so we're deferring that to the future. So when you name sort of to whatever you're referring, so that's, you know, uh, sort of exposing what their reference point is, social location. What do you prefer? What's your preference? They're naming white normalcy. And then what are we deferring? It's what are we willing to sacrifice down the road to, to be here in this moment now? I'm actually finding success with this stupid three question thing. Yeah, that's nice. Reference, preference, and deference. Thanks. Uh, I, I like that. I like that. It's All not right. too shabby. I know it's cheesy. Yeah. No, no, that's great. Yeah, that's, that's good. But what it does is it lets people instead of being defensive about their own bias that they can't even see, 
it's letting them name what's behind that. Because you have some picture in your head of what's preferred, right? And you have some picture in your head of what's the ideal, right? And, and to what are you referencing? And you have some commitment that you're willing to compromise on in order to get through whatever this moment is. And by right, me, I just want to make sure I got the, yeah. I want to get the order right. Yeah, so it's preference, reference, and deference. Correct. Yeah. Although I often do start with reference because like if somebody says, well, that's, you know, it's not respectable or whatever they say. Right. Or uh, whether it's, it's, it's pagan or that's secular or whatever it is to say, like, or just talk to me, what are you referencing? What's your, what's your reference point here? Okay. Then what's your preference? uh, What's your preference? What what are you going to do about it? Yes. And so when it comes to implicit bias, to those who are offended by the idea that they have something that they view as bad bias in them that they may not even be aware of, sort of a a three-step way to get out of whatever that defensive posture that they've taken up is, is just to let them sort of walk out of that in a hopefully a non-defensive posture And they'll usually, though, by the end, they'll admit, like, they do have preferences. We all do. Of course. Yeah. So how have people been responding? It's there seems to it seems to be helpful. I've used it in a a couple different um, small groups that I've been a part of. And I used it once in a a larger thing that I was doing online and it seems to be well received. So when I get back from my canoe trip, I'm actually going to fire up my video series again on uh, YouTube. And this is going to be one of the videos is uh, presenting this and I'm going to workshop it with people and hopefully refine it and make it better. But um, yeah, because I man, you could write a book called, Reference, preference, definitely. <laughs> I buy yeah. it. Yeah, it's it's just one of those things that has emerged out of uh, me being surprised. Because there are things, like I said, I'm not surprised by it. That certain people object to critical race theory, that certain people object to Kendi's book and white fragility. I totally get why that. But this one, I'm like, I don't even understand why, what is making you so prickly here? Something's getting you a tip, but I don't even understand what's objectionable. So by just uh, asking the follow-up question and listening a little bit, I've just noticed a, a theme and, uh, and it's when they're disappointed in their, that they don't live up to their own ideals and that they didn't see it so that they could correct it. it there's just something that it's both disappointing, but also a little infuriating that somebody else is showing, holding up a mirror and showing you something you didn't even know about you. Yeah. I, I just think people need to get out more. <laughs> in fairness just be around people it. just be around people who are different from you and, and you'll find uh, out how much implicit bias you have you know 
Yeah. Whenever somebody says like, I don't see color, my immediate suspicious suspicion is they're not around people of color very much. Right. If yeah. you live in an ethnically or racially diverse place, you see lots of different things. Yeah. How I'm you would be blind to that, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was very fortunate to be raised in a community that was very multicultural, multiracial, multiethnic, multireligious. Um, and to me, it was always very interesting, right? Yeah. Uh, not, not, you know, I, I never thought I had a culture that was, um, you know, better than theirs. I just had culture that was different than theirs. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm very grateful. I was born in a farm country in Cornfield, Ohio, central Ohio. But when I was two... Wait, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. What? You were born in a place named Cornfield? No, no. <laughs> Isn't that me? You were born in a cornfield? Yeah, sort what? of. Yeah, I was a. I was born in a March blizzard, and yes, my mom. Uh, yes, I was basically born in a cornfield. Are you kidding? I oh mean, my I, goodness, that that is incredible. <laughs> it's, a, it's a manner of speech, like feathers ruffled. It's just one of those things you say. <laughs> All right. So that's, then, that's when I, a, I'm glad you shared that. When I was two. Uh, my parents had had a, a pretty big life crisis and they had decided to sort of go a different direction and launch out. So they ended up moving to a small town in Georgia to go to Bible college and train for ministry. So then when they graduated, I was six and they got a job in suburban Chicago. And Randy, I got to tell you, I am so grateful that I grew up in a place that is ethnically and racially diverse, like suburban Chicago. Mm -hmm. And then in high school, we moved to Saskatchewan, Canada. And that's a different kind of, of multiculturalism. Uh, the nationalities mm -hmm. are different. So like in Chicago, my Asian uh, peers were uh, Hmong and Vietnamese, largely. Mm -hmm. uh, in in uh, Saskatchewan, it was largely Korean and Chinese. And so in heritage, and so that, that's different, you know, kind of uh, Asian culture, but I'm just glad to be, have been raised in a place that had cultural and racial diversity because, and then we moved to uh, just outside New York. And so, you know, for my formative years, I, I, even though I raised largely white centered culture, I at least had interactions, friendships, partnerships, experiences in a, a multicultural uh, setting that opened my eyes to difference. And I think really for my life and what I've ended up sort of who I've ended up being, uh, I think I'm just so grateful to have been raised in those environments and have been to expose to people of different nationalities and cultures and traditions. And it's, you know, made me a better person. 
it has been fun uh, chatting. I will look forward to putting this out and getting uh, people's reactions. Please share this if you want to expand the conversation. We want to thank our Patreon supporters a lot. Thank you for your support and allowing us to do this financially. And I did want to mention that when I'm back in May, we're going to be expanding so that we won't just be on iTunes and Stitcher anymore, but that we will be on Podbean and SoundCloud. We're going to expand and try and get some more people involved in this conversation. So thank you. All right. Thank you, Patreon supporters, for making that possible. All right. Well, we'll see you next time.